Well, I'm so thankful for worship ministry. It brings glory to the name of the Lord, aren't you? Thank you, Doug. Thank you, team. And I appreciate Max with his guitar harp <laughs> bringing glory to the Lord. I appreciate it. God bless you, brother. Welcome, everyone. It's great to see you here. What a beautiful day. Hard to believe October is here, right? But God's faithfulness is new every day. Welcome all that are joining online, and uh, they worship with us, and also have special guests. I want to recognize uh, Victor and Gabby Rapaski. If you all would just stand for a moment, our long-term partners in Slovakia, okay? And uh, we're so grateful for you, Victor. Gabby, thank you. It's been a number of years since Gabby's been able to be here. We welcome you. Their continued faithfulness in Slovakia, some new ventures the Lord's directed them to. But God bless you all. It's an honor to have you here today. And I hope many of you can go by and just greet them in the Lord today. So God bless you. We really appreciate you so much. We thank you for your ministry. Okay. If you have your Bibles now, turn to the passage that Joe read for us, Matthew chapter 5. Would you turn there? Matthew chapter 5. Now, it was a bright and sunny Sunday morning. And a young serviceman, while looking at his radar screen, saw what appeared suddenly to be a huge, huge blip getting larger and larger on that screen. He'd never in all of his training encountered anything quite like it. So immediately he called the officer of the watch who came by to also look at that screen and the officer of the watch said, well, it's probably a malfunction. There's a squadron of planes due to land later on today. Maybe they're here early. And so the servicemen ignored the ever-growing image on his screen. The location of that radar station was Hawaii. The date, Sunday, December 7th, 1941. And within a few hours, nearly 2,500 American sailors, Marines, soldiers were killed at Pearl Harbor and America was plunged into the Second World War. A lack of vigilance on assignment, a defense assignment, proved fatal for hundreds and hundreds of personnel. Ignoring the danger displayed on the screen produced destruction beyond words. Now we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is talking 
about life in the kingdom. And he knows something about life in the kingdom, doesn't he? After all, he's the king. And this king is the prince of peace, isn't he? The prince of peace. But this king, who is the prince of peace, teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount that the king and his kingdom and his kingdom citizens are constantly in conflict. There is a constant conflict. And if we are citizens in his kingdom, we have to be constantly vigilant because we are in that constant conflict we are involved in moral combat and that's what I want us to think about this morning from our Lord's words here in the Sermon on the Mount I want us to think about what he is describing as moral combat and I want us to listen to our king and his call of duty and so to help us do that, let's just once again read carefully, thoughtfully, prayerfully the words of our king. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you. That everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Ladies and gentlemen, I remind you, this is Jesus speaking. Not the manufactured Jesus of the media today, but the real Jesus, the real king. He said some really wonderful things, didn't he? And he said some really hard things. We cannot pick and choose our Jesus. Jesus is who he is. Amen. He says what he says. And here he's given a call of duty to those who are in his kingdom who are involved in moral combat. Now as we look at this passage, there's Two things I want us to see, and then I want us to make 
application, personal application of response at the end. But first of all, I want you to see that Jesus here is clearly describing for his followers on that hillside. Remember, he's there on that hillside in Galilee, thousands around him. He is the new Moses. He is the fulfillment of Moses' prophecy that a prophet would come like him and you will listen to him. He is the ultimate lawgiver. He is not just the God who gives the commandments. He is the God who has come down to live among us. And amazingly, to fulfill his own commandments. Jesus said in verse 17, I have not come to destroy the law. But what? Fill it full. So here, he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He uses that term six times. I say to you. So he's claiming authority as the king. And here he says, once again, I've not come to destroy this law. I've come to fill it full. And he reminds us he's not destroying the law because he reminds us of what the law prohibits. The law's prohibition. He quotes the seventh commandment. Verse 27 is him quoting the seventh commandment. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That is the seventh of the Ten Commandments given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. By this commandment, God protected the sacredness of sex and the sacredness of marriage. You shall not commit adultery. In this commandment, we are reminded it was God who created sex. And it was given as a blessing. A blessing. A gift from God for those who in him have been joined in marriage. It's a gift. And the Lord says to those who are united in him in marriage, bless you as you enjoy to the fullest this gift that I have given to you to express your love to one another. But it is reserved for this holy covenant of marriage. Adultery is the breaking of that commandment. It is the dishonoring of the covenant. Sexual unfaithfulness here, adultery is sexual unfaithfulness to the marriage covenant. God declared that marriage between two is sacred and the sacred gift of marriage is reserved A sex is reserved for marriage and only between those who are joined in marriage. 
And God declared adultery a terrible sin. As a matter of fact, under the Old Testament commandments, it was considered worthy of capital punishment. Now, these are sobering words. But as sobering as they were, remember who's hearing these words. These are thousands of Jewish people gathered around Jesus. And they're very familiar with these Ten Commandments. They've known these Ten Commandments all their lives. They have been taught them from the very earliest moments of their life. They see them all the time. These Ten Commandments have not been taken down from the Jewish schools. They've not been barred from their centers of learning and law. So they were familiar. But then... Jesus said something startling. Jesus literally drops a spiritual bomb. What he said first was a reaffirmation of God's law. But then what he says next is just a spiritual bomb because having shared the the law's prohibition, then He, as the Lord of the law, right? Make sure that we understand the principle. The Lord's principle. He says, but I say to you. That everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now that is a statement which needs careful consideration. And I want to take a moment or two to make sure we do this guided by the Holy Spirit. I want us to be clear of what Jesus is not saying here. It might be a good place for us to make sure we understand what he is not saying. He is not just speaking to men. It has specific application, of course, in some ways to men in a more general nature. But he's not just speaking to men. He's speaking to his followers. Secondly, Jesus is not saying here that the thought is equal to the deed. That the thought is equal to the deed. He's not saying to have an immoral thought enter into your mind is equal to the evil of carrying out that immoral deed. Let's be reminded, friends, it is not a sin to be tempted. Jesus himself was tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. We are all aware of the fiery darts of the wicked one, right? It is not a sin to have the thought go through your mind. Jesus not saying that a look is equal to lust. He's not saying a look, a glance, is equal to lust. You you know when you see a person and you think 
that person is attractive. Well, then you see another person and you think that person's aesthetically challenged, in my opinion, okay. <laughs> but you, you see someone and you say, that's a handsome man, that's a beautiful woman. So when Jesus uses the word, look here, look, make sure we understand. He's not talking about a glance. He's not talking about the thought that goes across your mind. He's not talking about a recognition that that person is handsome or attractive. The word here is the idea of a gaze, and it's present tense. It's present tense. I, see to, I say to you that everyone who is gazing at a woman with lustful intent, it's present tense, is gazing, and it's followed by a present tense infinitive. Everyone who is gazing at a woman with the intent to be lusting after her is guilty of this sin, adultery. What is Jesus doing here? He is again not just quoting the law, he's fulfilling the law. He's filling it full. He's not just going to externals, he's going to the source. He's going to the internal. Like he did last week when he said, what is it when someone despises another person? What is that in, its heart, in the heart? It's a murder. And here he is saying the same about adultery. He says it is a gazing, a lustful gazing. It's, it's mentally enjoying what you would expect the physical involvement. Jesus says here it's not just the act of immorality that is wrong. He goes to the source. It's the thoughts, the thoughts in the being, in the heart. And God is concerned not just with the external, but God also looks, where does he look? On the heart. And he also is not just the judge of our actions, he's the judge of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. Lustful behavior is rooted in lustful thinking. And my friends, in this sex-soaked society in which we live, we who are followers of Jesus are called to a relentless struggle. A struggle. A relentless struggle. So if we're going to be involved in a relentless struggle, we must also have a ruthless strategy. Jesus is talking and describing a relentless struggle against 
immorality. And then he says, you must be willing to have a ruthless strategy when it comes to dealing with the temptations of immorality. You must, must be ruthless. And it's not too strong a word to, to say ruthless when you listen to Jesus in verses 29 and 30. Not too strong, right? He says here, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. That, that sounds pretty ruthless, doesn't it? We must be ruthless, the Lord is saying here. He's not saying to actually do this. He's saying this is the attitude that you must have. You must be ruthless in your battle with sexual temptation and sexual sin. It, you must be ruthless at this. Theologian and author D.A. Carson has written this. And I thought it was very helpful and challenging. Dr. Carson wrote this. We are to deal drastically with sin. We must not pander it. Flirt with it. Enjoying nibbling a little of it around the edges. We are to hate it, crush it, dig it out. And that is the ultimate reason our sin must be taken seriously. Because if it's not dealt with, it leads to hell. Now Jesus' choice of words was deadly serious. Notice, again, he's speaking in a Jewish culture to Jewish people. And so the expression, your right eye or your right hand, which is significant enough to us 2,000 years later in our culture, but in that culture, it was absolutely, amazingly ruthless in its challenge because the right eye and the right hand represented a person's best ability. The right hand, your, your best, your a best ability. The right eye, your, your best thoughts, your best vision. And so the idea of cutting off your right hand Dealing with your right eye, it has the idea of going to that which is perhaps most valuable and dealing with it. Jesus calls for a radical surgery on anything that separates us from life in the kingdom and separates us from life eternal. What did he say in his Beatitudes back in verse 8? Blessed are the pure in heart. For what? They shall see God. So there's a question for each of us. What sacrifices am I willing to make 
what even extreme sacrifices that some may seem to think are strange. What am I willing to make for the sake of moral purity of life and heart? What am I willing to quote unquote sacrifice so I can see God? I can perceive God. I can have an awareness of God now, an ultimate awareness in His glory. What are we willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to sacrifice popularity? Be considered a prude? Be considered puritanical? Out of touch? Are you willing to lose a relationship? One that is out of bounds, perhaps? It's not entered yet, perhaps, into that of immorality, but it's inappropriate. It's a relationship, perhaps, without proper boundaries. Are you willing? To cut it off? What about a friendship? You are called to be a friend of sinners like Jesus, of course. But not enter into their sin with them in order to befriend them. Are you willing to even end a friendship if it is one that is... Drawing you away from faithfully following the Lord? Would you quit your job and find another if you had to? You're in a situation where absolutely no way of change. No way can I continue to be in this situation. No way can I continue to be a part of this. Would you sacrifice your job? Would you sacrifice your television? Would you sacrifice your internet access? To see God more clearly and know Jesus more deeply. And I want to ask you, measure all of those other things to knowing Jesus And I want to ask you a question. Is it a sacrifice? Is it really a sacrifice? My friends, we need to carefully weigh our king's weighty words. We need to weigh these carefully. They're weighty words. And and we have to consider what is at stake. What's at stake? Well, Jesus is very clear here. Our souls are at stake. He's saying this heaven and hell. Heaven or hell is in this. He's warning about going to hell. In love with sin. Ephesians 5.5 says, Know this, no immoral person 
shall inherit the kingdom of God. It's not any person who's ever done or thought something immoral, but no one who persistently, continually practices a lifestyle of immorality has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Our souls are at stake. Our service is at stake. What are we called to be? What did Jesus call us? Call us? We are the salt of the earth. If we don't deal with this, there's no saltiness. We are the light of the world. It takes away our, our service is it, it's, if it's not dealt with. And most of all, our Savior's name is at stake. Why are we to be the salt and light of the earth? Why are we to glorify God with good deeds on earth so that they may be seen and the Father in heaven is glorified? Our Savior's name is at stake. We are Christian followers of Christ. Do you remember what the prophet Nathan said to David after David had committed immorality with Bathsheba and then planned a murder to cover it up? What did Nathan say to David? He said, by this deed... You have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. To blaspheme Him. This is what is at stake. Our souls, our service, our Savior's name. Brothers and sisters, our, our Savior is serious here, isn't He? He is. And we must be as well. Now, our Lord calls us to a relentless, to be relentless and ruthless in dealing with lust. And so I want to close by sharing with you here, if I might, a relentless and ruthless strategy. We are to be relentless and we are to be ruthless. May I just give you a relentless and ruthless strategy in dealing with moral temptation. And if you can remember this word, maybe you will remember what I want to associate with it. The word is this. Remember, when it comes to moral temptation, this word, scram. Scram. What do I mean by that? In moral temptation, in temptation to lust, number one, S, see the image of God. See the image of God. Stop sensually objectifying another person. Remember that is a person made in the image of God, an eternal soul. Maybe a brother or sister in Jesus Christ, if not someone's brother, perhaps, or sister.
Again, I come back to David and to think that we're any of us immune from this. We have to be very careful unless you think you're greater than David who was the man after God's own heart. He loved God. But it was a time when kings go forth to battle, the Bible says in 2 Samuel 11. It was a time when kings go forth to battle that David remained in Jerusalem. I've been out there for years. I've been in the battle for decades. Let someone else be in the battle. Time for me to retire. Time for me to take it easy. Let the younger generation do this. Very interesting about fatalities on, of mountain climbers. Have you ever studied this? The proportion of mountain climbers who die on the way down than on the way up. It's on the way down. A little lazy. A little lack of focus. Off the mountain. But when I come back to David's situation. Now David... Saw Bathsheba. From everything that we know, he didn't intend to see her, but he saw her. She was taking a bath, maybe the bath of ritual cleansing, taking it outside his high terraced balcony that he had. He saw this beautiful woman but then he continued to look and look and gaze and lust and then it's interesting what the Bible says he asked about her and it says he asked a servant and an, a certain one the Bible says just a certain Servant unnamed, but who was really speaking the word of the Holy Spirit to David. What did the servant say? Who is this? Very, very significant. Is this not Bathsheba? She has a name. Is she not the daughter of Eliam? She has a dad. Who's Eliam? One of your long-term friends, fellow warriors. Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah? One of your inner circle of guards who is right now out fighting your battle. (laughs) 
But in his lust, Bathsheba was objectified. Her name meant nothing. The fact that she was a daughter of a close friend meant nothing. And the wife of a faithful warrior serving the king. All that went away. And the power of the lust. Friends, we must see the image of God. See. Call on the Lord. Call on the Lord. Pray for strength. Pray for strength in temptation. And when you feel the temptation, here's something. Pray for that person. Best way not to objectify someone is to pray for a person who may be your sister, your brother in the Lord, may be someone very close, but you need to see that that person is a person. And it's very difficult to lust after someone you're praying for. See the image of God. Call on the Lord. R. This is actually three words with R. Resist, run, remove. Resist, run, remove. Fight, reject passivity. Resist the devil. Submit to God. He will flee from you. Resist. Fight. Reject passivity. Run. What's the Bible say? The best way to deal with temptation, immorality, is like one preacher I heard called it the shoe leather express. Run. 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 Get away from the situation. Get away from... The surroundings change. Remove. The best of your ability, remove the opportunity. Remove the opportunity of being with this person casually. Being with this person in a Relationship that's not sinful, but it could be a platform because of the temptation that's in your heart. I remember many years ago listening to and reading after a pastor who called it running the red lights, running the red lights. And he had a section on what is a red light. He said, well, here's one of the most important red lights. When you start thinking about someone and you say, I think I just might drop by. I think I'll just go by her cubicle. I think I'll just check how she's doing on that project. I think I'll just check, see how he's doing. Is any of that wrong? No, it's not wrong. But it's a red light. Most people who commit 
adultery. Begin that terrible, terrible journey in just casual relationship that's unguarded. It's not that it's wrong. It's just out of bounds. There's a place for politeness. There's a place, yes, for teamwork. We understand these things. But when you sense yourself being drawn into relational conversations, be careful. The red light. Remove the opportunities. Remove, perhaps remove the channels. Maybe remove the technological access. Resist, run, remove. A, ask for accountability. Ask for accountability. Ask, how about starting with your spouse? Does your spouse know the passcode to your computer? Does the spouse, does your, does your husband, wife know the code to your phone? If not, why not? You don't all work for Oak Ridge. <laughs> Come on. Ask for accountability. Ask your spouse. Ask someone to be a prayer partner with you. Get an accountability partner. And it doesn't have to be just focused on saying, hey, could we just get together and talk about lust? <laughs> no. <laughs> could we just, could we meet together, encourage each other in our pursuit of Jesus? Join a group. We encourage each other in the faith. Stop being a Lone Ranger Christian, a solo saint. Get in a group. Connect with some people over the word of God in prayer and be amazed and enriched with what happens when you begin to open up your lives. Join renewal here at the church. Get with Pastor Al. Scott and wonderful team build relationships for strength. And letter M, meditate on the Lord. Meditate on the Lord. Meditate on His Word. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought thee, O oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I want to tell you, that's not just the prayer of a young man. That needs to be a prayer of an old man. When you were younger, didn't you think how much of a better Christian you'd be when you're older? This stuff wouldn't bother you anymore. You could just dream about being at a point where you're immune to it anymore. When you're a really wonderful Christian, older, you know, because you're just older, you know, like 67. 
I'll tell you something. Flesh is flesh, and that's all it's ever going to be. But the Spirit renews. Meditate on the Lord. Meditate on His wonderful love and His grace. Meditate on the gospel. Listen to songs. Enter into those songs. Enter into the praise. Worship the Lord. Don't just read the Bible, but then worship the Lord. Don't just pray. Tell the Lord how grateful you are. Bask in His grace. And you say, I know, I've blown it. I've blown it. I can't go back. No, you can't go back, but you can go to the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. Go to Jesus. What Jesus is, what did he say here? This kind of statement of Jesus, what he's saying, this drives us to the gospel, it drives us to Jesus, because apart from what Jesus is going to do for us by living the life we cannot live, dying the death we deserve, apart from him, we have no hope. But Christ has given us a righteousness. It's his own righteousness. How do you pursue righteousness? You pursue righteousness by pursuing the king of righteousness. Draw near to Jesus. Walk with Jesus. What's the invitation that Jesus makes to every person who becomes a Christian? This is the invitation. It's never changed. Follow me. Follow me. Walk with me. This drives us to Jesus. And whatever drives us to Jesus is a good thing that drives us to Jesus. The devil wants to drive you to despair. You see, the devil only has two lies. The devil has two lies. Only two. Here's the first lie. The first lie is, you won't get caught. That's the first lie. Then he's got a second lie. Now you can't get out. They're both lies. Let... The reality of what Jesus is saying here, drive us to him, drive us to Christ, drive us to confession, repentance, daily to cast ourselves on him. And that's what communion is all about.